All right, welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is episode 3.27, and this episode we're looking into power and strength. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick, and I'm the director for Rekindling Ministries. And my name is Zach Rios, and I have recently completed my undergraduate degree at Liberty University and am helping out with these podcasts. And recently, as in like hours ago. Recently, as in my last undergraduate <laughs> class was... Oh, five hours ago in 17 minutes. So congrats on that. Thank you. And of course, you have very little break because then you get in a seminary yes. in January. Yep. But so yeah. about a month off and going to enjoy it. <laughs> yep. Same here. Um, so let's, uh, let's do a quick recap of the previous episode, which was joy. What did we talk about? Well, we defined joy as American contentment moving to high-spirited exhilaration, which leads to expressions of bounding celebration that come from simply choosing to think thankfully on a plethora of good and noble things. So we talked about that, how this can really play itself out in different ways, depending on your personality type, right, right. Um, that it's not always necessarily going to be this huge uh, extroverted type thing. It can be. It can be. But it doesn't um, have to be. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. But is powerful nonetheless. Yes. Right. Yep. This is really just a powerful emotion. And it really is all-encompassing. It takes place in the mind, heart, and body. So you sow it cognitively, you reap it emotionally, and you celebrate it actively. I really like that. Um, yeah, say that again. You. It takes place in the mind, heart, and body. And so you sow joy cognitively, you reap it emotionally, and you celebrate it actively. Okay, cool. I like that. And we talked about how you need to think on different things in order to get joy. It's not something that we can just magically produce. We, we get it through thinking about these different things. And we describe these six baskets. And so the, the baskets, which we talk more about, obviously, in the episode, yeah. uh, is God, transformation and maturity. Uh, justice, the making of things right, the different spices of life, community, and really ultimately heaven. And then we also talked about the results of joy, uh, that it really is a result in itself and a benefit in and right, of itself, right. but also that strength is a result of joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And that goes, well, that, of course, segues into today's it does. episode, uh, but that goes a long way. And, and, so two things I'll say. One is with that, the joy and being strength, we found in Psalm 51 that right after David grievingly acknowledges his sin and then receives that love and forgiveness from God, it's off his record, mm -hmm. he knows that he needs to renew that steadfast spirit within himself. Yeah. And then he talks about two things after that, wisdom and joy. And so it seems that David acknowledged that wisdom and joy are two great ways to renew the steadfast spirit in you so that you don't send the next round of temptation. Mm -hmm. And wisdom makes sense. Joy kind of would catch us off guard. But we found that if somebody's really in a joyful mood, that temptations are less powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that, that's, that's kind of cool. The other thing I'll say is we talked about how sometimes people say you just need to choose joy and we would say that scripturally that's the scriptures wouldn't agree with that you don't just, like, like you said you can't just create it out of thin air you don't just choose to be joyful you do make a choice you do make a decision to begin thinking on and experiencing 
a plethora of really good th things, all of which then become sources of joy. Mm -hmm. And so then we categorize them into the to the six baskets. Yeah. Um, the the walking deeply with God, all any, any you know your relationship with Him, and all that that entails can bring joy. Um, the transformation by that we mean like uh, basically maturing. Like you can go back and listen to our maturity study earlier mm -hmm. in the season. Um, but as you transform and become the more complete version of you, or you see others transform, become the more complete version of themselves, that's always a source of joy. It was a big one for Paul. Paul always enjoyed it when he saw that in others. Um, and then the justice, like you already said, is a making of things right. So you see right occur, that can bring joy. Um, the spices of life, so ghosts, you know, dogs, but not ghosts, my dog <laughs> ghosts. Yeah. Um, sunsets, steaks, you know, et cetera. Uh, even beer and wine, uh, the Bible would reference, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then community, like really healthy, awesome community, can be a source of joy. Um, and so those are the five that we can tap into now. And then the sixth basket that you referenced is heaven, which is the full and complete version of all the other five baskets. And I was just talking with a friend uh, yesterday about we really do need to think more about heaven. The more we understand mm -hmm. what actually heaven entails, the more excited that we're going to get and the more joy that we can get. So you can go back and listen to the episode on heaven earlier, earlier, earlier this season as well. Anyways. Yeah, that was that. So we can now segue into, um, this episode, which is power and strength. And so I, I wanted to reference the, the passage in Isaiah 11, like verses 1 to 3. It's a messianic passage talking about a stump from the root of Jesse, uh, or a root from the stump of Jesse, but talking about Jesus. And it, it describes him, and it says that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of power, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, um, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It goes through this whole list, and I really like that list. And when you combine it with the Galatians 5, 21 and 22, fruit of the spirit, and then Second Peter 1, I think like 3 to 11, those are our three great list passages. Um, that when you there's a lot of overlap between each of mm -hmm. them, um, but I think they come up with a total of like 14 different things. I was actually using those three lists to make a list of all the podcasts that are all the uh, unpacking things that we were going to do mm -hmm. and, then, and then record. And so you can see that that power and strength there, right, right there in, in you know Isaiah Isaiah 11. Um, anyways, so let's go ahead and dive uh, right into the study. And the first thing that we always do is, is we go through these. Is if this is your first time listening, um, there's a process that we go through in the, uh, the unpacking where we start first with the wording. And so we look at the first thing that we do is we look at, so what are the, like the family of words that we actually looked up when we did the study? Because you don't look up just power and strength. So we look up, you know, strength, strong, mighty, uh, power, powerful. Uh, also, there's a direct correlation between power and ability. Hmm. So if you have the power to do something, you're able to do it, right? Um, so we looked up ability and able. Um, another thing that we saw is arm and hands. So throughout, especially in the Old Testament, there's a number of passages where it talks about um, then the power of the Lord will come upon you or, or you shall have authority and power or whatever. And if you look at the Hebrew, the actual word is hand or strength, or arm, hand or arm. So it's like the hand of God will come upon you. But in context, it's talking about his power. Hmm. So we had this, when we'll get into this in the Hebrew in a second, we end up not looking up 
every verse that had arm or hand in it because the majority of those are referencing a physical arm or hand. But just know that there is a connection uh, figuratively between hands and arms and strength and power uh, in, in the Scripture. Um, and then we, we, we also looked up the kind of the... Um, the inverse of those. So we looked up weak or weary or sick. We also looked up valiant and firm. Um, and then a number, the, these didn't have as many mentions, but ill or to grasp, kind of go back to hand, steadfast, vigor, uh, possible, uh, compel, edify, helpless, assist, tired, exert, capable, powerless, Aid. These are all different ones that we that we end up looking up uh, in in the in the in the, in the study in the research. Um, so total was actually one thousand six hundred and seventy seven mentions. Twelve thirty six in the Old Testament, four forty one in the in the New Testament. So this was a decent a decent amount right mm-hmm. uh, on this topic. Um, so then so that's the family of words that we looked up in, in the NASB. Then we got into the Hebrew and Greek. And so we're going to read these off because a lot of times you can find some cool things when you go back to what the original wording was and you end up seeing some cool nuances um, that help shed some light onto what, you know, what these, these concepts are. Um, and so, and we always, you know, say we're not experts in this. And so the pronunciations were probably butchering the pronunciations, but we'll do the, uh, the best that we can. Um, so in the Hebrew, you have chazik, which means to strengthen or become strong or stout or to prevail or withstand. And then, the, and then a similar word, chazik, the noun or the adjective is strong, stout, or mighty. We also looked up chayil, which is an army or force, strength, virtue, valor, wealth, or efficiency. Uh, L, so the word L means strength, power, or might. It can also mean the powerful one, which is a frequent name of God. So like El Shaddai or El Elyon. Um, a lot of the uh, names of people in the Bible, Michael, Gabriel, you know, end in L. And so that, so L you're going to see a whole bunch of times in, in Scripture. We also looked up Gabor and Gaborah, which is powerful, strong, mighty, by implication a brave man or warrior. Can mean strength, might, force, valor, or bravery. And then the Hebrew word yakol means to be able, to have power or strength, for example, to overcome or prevail. Koak is strength, power, vigor, or might. Oz means strength or might in various applications, force, security, majesty, praise. Then similarly, the adjective as can mean strong, uh, uh, vehement, harsh, or fierce. Amats is to be alert. Courageous, bold, strong, stout, or solid. Atsum is powerful, mighty, strong, or numerous. An is effort, ability, power, vigor, or wealth. Those were the majority of the Hebrew words. There were also a handful of other ones that were used less less frequently. Um, and then, as I already mentioned, Yad means hand, and Zeroah means arm, and Kun means to be firm, stable, established, prepared, or ready. There were overlaps with those words with the idea of strength and power, but they also meant other things as well. Mm-hmm. So they don't, we didn't include the verses necessarily on those. Um, and then we also looked up the inverse of those, right? So like the weak passages. So you have the, the chala or chala, um, to be rubbed or worn, like worn down, to be made weak or sick, afflicted, ill or diseased, or to be grieved. 
And then uh, a related word, uh, choli or coli, uh, sickness or disease, a malady, anxiety, calamity, grief. Yaga is to grasp from toil or labor. It's to tire, to grow weary or be exhausted. Ayif means weary, faint, exhausted, thirsty, or famished. Rock is tender, delicate, soft, or by implication, weak. And then moving into the Greek, we have, I really like this, we have dunamai, which means to be able or possible or to have power. And then the, the related words dunamas means force, power, might, strength, abundance, even violence, ability. And then dunatos is forceful, powerful, strong, mighty, capable. Side note, that's where we get the word dynamite. Mm-hmm. And then we also have uh, iskaros and its related words, which can mean forcible, mighty, powerful, strong, or loud, to exercise force, be strong, have power, avail, or be able to do. Iskis is forcefulness, strength, and power. And katasio is to have strength, overpower, or prevail against. And then sterizo and stereo, to set fast, establish, strengthen, to render constant, confirm, to solidify, strengthen, make firm, or confirm. And again, a handful of other Greek words that were used less frequently. And exiosia, which is the power to act or choose, uh, authority, power, or privilege. So that word there is used quite a bit in the Greek, 102 times, which is a lot. Um, And it can mean the exertion of power. It can also relate to authority. So you see some overlap between the the concept of power and strength Mm -hmm. with the concept of authority or leading, which our next episode is leading and following. And so so you're going to see the exousia show up there as well. Um, And then then flip of that uh, in the Greek, you have um, astheneo and asthenia, uh, weak, feeble, sick, diseased, or a weakness, frailty, sickness, infirmity. Uh, kakos is badly, wrongly, evil, miserable, ill, or sick. The, if you've listened to the sin study, that word should sound familiar because that also is translated like evil or sin. Hmm. Uh, and then adunatos means unable, impossible, or weak. So, so those are the main Hebrew and Greek words. Um, then what we do, the next step is we, we look up, we use Web, Merriam-Webster and Farlex dictionaries, and we look up some of the key concepts from those words that we were just seeing in the definitions, and we look up and see what each of those mean. And the reason why we, we recite these, so as you're listening, it can get a little tedious sometimes as we just start rattling all these words off. Um, it can help if you see them visually. Um, but the idea is, is we're, we're trying to show you what's the underlying foundation to these concepts mm-hmm. based on the definitions. And so we have capable which means you have the attributes such as physical or mental power or inclination or disposition required for performance or accomplishment. In the same way, ability is the quality or state of having sufficient power, skill, or resources to do something. Power is a source or means of supplying energy. It's the capacity of acting or being active or the ability to act or produce an effect. It can also be possession of control, authority, or influence over others. Might means the strength, power, energy, or intensity of which one is capable. To exert is to put forward strength or effort. Vigor is active bodily or mental strength or force. Force is active power, strength, or energy exerted, a cause of motion or change, 
the capacity to perform to persuade or convince, compel or restrain. And then strength has kind of three ideas. There's a capacity for exertion, force, power, achieving or bringing about a particular result to some degree. Or it has the idea of a capacity for endurance, power to resist or withstand the force of something else, durable, impregnable. It can also mean the ability to deal with difficult situations. Stout is physically strong, sturdily constructed, strong of character or thick. Steadfast means not subject to change. You are firm in belief, determination, or adherence, or loyal. To be stable is steady in purpose, firm in resolution, firmly established, resistance to change or fluctuation. Valor is a strength of mind or spirit that enables a person to encounter danger with firmness. To be valiant is to be marked by exhibiting or carrying out something with courage or determination. And to prevail is to become, to be or become effective or effectual, to use persuasion successfully, to gain ascendancy, which is a governing influence or control through strength or superiority or to triumph. And we also looked up the opposite of some of these words. And so we looked up weak, which is deficient in strength or vigor, unable to sustain or exert energy or unable to resist another force. Weary means exhausted in strength, endurance, vigor, or freshness. Exhausted means extremely or completely tired to have used up all energy. Tired means drained of strength or energy, worn out. Frail is weak, easily broken, or easily led into evil. Feeble is deficient in strength, vigor, force, efficiency, or authority. The idea of being unable or powerless or helpless all means the inability to act or react lacking strength or power. So so that gave us a good foundation. And so some of the things that we saw with power and strength, there's a, a force or an energy mm-hmm. that's being used to accomplish something, influence something, resist something, etc. Um, with it with the capability, you know, it's mm-hmm. also equated with the capability to do so, right? Um, so so that that lays down the, the, all the, the wording, vocabulary, and definitions. Then another thing that we wanted to lay down is, you know, as we go through all these unpacking topics and studies, we find that they keep overlapping with each other and they keep connecting with each other. And when we do the research, when we do the initial unpacking study, um, we do it by itself, kind of like in isolation, but only to some extent, because none of these things occur in isolation. And so we always want to make sure that, you know, hey, as we're studying this, we also need to be understanding these related concepts, which mm-hmm. will go a lot into it. So some, some of the concepts that are connected with this, um, with this idea of power and strength, because so what you see with power and strength is the ability or capacity to accomplish or resist, right? Um, there's qualifications to that. So for example, the good, and so if you go back to the good study and we see that among, there's four things that it means, but one of the main things, one of the main two is beneficial and moral. And so when we talk about God's power and strength, it's always in the pursuit of what is beneficial and moral, not the inverse 
in pursuit of evil, which can be like detrimental or or immoral. Mm-hmm. And so so good good plays um, plays into this one. Another one is justice, and so we've talked a lot about how good love and justice actually become this really cool triumvirate, right? Mm-hmm. And justice, you mentioned earlier, is a making of things right. And so there's definitely a connection between power and strength with justice, that you should be using power and strength to accomplish what is good, to accomplish what is right. Having said that, another concept that comes into play here is patience. Mm-hmm. So we've already talked about this in other studies, and I, I find it fascinating. A lot of Christians think there's some sort of tension between justice and mercy, because like justice is punishing somebody, then mercy is foregoing that punishment. We have found in all the studies, you can go back and listen to the justice study and the mercy study and the patient study, the tension is not between justice and mercy. In fact, one of the most, because justice is a making of things right, one of the ways to make things right is to show mercy and forgive. Mm. So there's really not a whole lot of tension between those two. The tension is actually between justice and patience. This is actually going to come up a lot in this discussion in this episode. Patience can include refraining from enforcing what may be right or due. So justice is a making of things right. Patience is actually a refraining from making things right. Um, and it's usually ref- refraining from making X right because why the why is the why right is being accomplished mm-hmm. or if we do a and b you're foregoing trying to make the a right thing because you're trying to make the b right thing and and both a and b can't be accomplished at the same time so you choose one right sure so so we, so we need to keep in mind that that and actually this is also so when we just a couple episodes we did knowledge understanding wisdom and counsel right that's also going to play into this study because we're going to find that there's some major amounts of wisdom and discernment that need to be coupled with strength. So just because you have the power and the strength doesn't mean that you're supposed to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some wisdom and discernment and patience as you use that power and strength for justice and good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, also, and that's actually where omniscience comes in. And so we've mentioned a couple of times we're in the process actually of developing a Know Thy God study, which probably is not going to roll out. The class itself probably won't roll out till January of 2020. We're hoping to actually start recording the podcast next year sometime, we're hoping. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've just recently been researching omniscience, and omniscience is that you know knowing, all-knowing. Um, and there's some wisdom and discernment that come in there. And so God in his omniscience knows when to show patience and refrain from enforcing what is right or refrain from using his power. Mm -hmm. And we're going to repeat that uh, a lot. This also ties into sovereignty and determinism. And so we've talked about that we have a whole episode. Did we do a whole episode on inner determinism or is that a sub-episode of evil and sin? It's its own one. I think it was its own one before we did evil and sin. Yeah. So we encourage you to go back and and listen to that episode on interdeterminism. Um... And also in sin, there's a sub-episode uh, with sin that is why a good God allows mm-hmm. evil. And so um, I guess we can touch a little bit on it here because this, this is a good point of any. Keep in mind that with the issues of... I'll try to go through this quickly because you can go back and listen to the other episodes. Mm-hmm. But like sovereignty, will of God, and determinism. A lot of times we Christians equate those three terms. The Bible does not. They're all related, but they're three distinct things. Sovereignty just simply refers to God having supreme authority, um, meaning that he has the right and the power to enforce his decisions, his judgments, his calls, etc. 
Yeah, or to put it another way, like he has the final say in right. whatever goes on. Then the will of God, we're finding, we're still kind of researching this, but we're finding that the will of God means what he desires. So, so as sovereign, he has the final say, and he's going to base his final say on what he thinks is right, which, again, because he's omniscient, mm-hmm. he is right, right? He's correct in that. Um, but what, what does he desire? What pleases him? Well, what, what he desires and what pleases him is whatever is good and just and mm-hmm. all the stuff that comes with that, right? Love, obviously. Um, so anyways, the sovereign God looks to his will, looks to his desires, uh, his preferences, his wishes, whatever, and then, and then determinism is how he carries that out. So it's three distinct ideas that all play well together. This power-strength concept that we're discussing here goes hand-in-hand with the uh, determinism one mm-hmm. because the determinism is how things play out, what causes things, why do they, why do they occur. And so the power and strength um, obviously goes, goes with that. So it's helpful to understand determinism so you can yeah. understand power and strength but then as you're understanding determinism you also need to understand the will of god and what that means and sovereignty and what that means mm-hmm. along with omniscience and wisdom and good and just justice and patience etc all these things are important to keep in mind as we go into the power and strength yeah because with the idea of determinism we could spend a long time talking about that but we won't here because we have already uh, but just to give a quick overview of what we mean when we're talking about that is uh, in Scripture, we really do see this range of how God interacts with the world, and it ranges from um, having a lot of hard divine determinism, and so that's like God orchestrating every single detail. Um, this is more um, pervasive in some more reformed circles of thinking, Uh and along the spectrum, there's also uh, the idea that God doesn't do that so often. And so, what mm. when we say what we say when we're talking about determinism is we're talking about the frequency that God uses hard divine determinism. And so, there's a lot of subcategories with that. But I hope that that just provides just a framework to see what we're talking about there. Yeah, and to elaborate on that, you mentioned the hard. So you have hard determinism and soft determinism. Hard is irresistible, so mm-hmm. when, when hard determinism is exerted, you can't do anything to change it otherwise. Yeah. It's going to happen. Soft determinism is influence, and so what we find is God uses both hard determinism and soft determinism. There's times when he, when he unloads like full renderings of his power and strength to mm-hmm. accomplish something, and, and no one's going to change that. There's other times where he pulls back a little bit and some temperance, and he uses his power and strength to influence and persuade, which is possible that you could still resist, right? Mm-hmm. Because of free will, you know, and that's a whole can of which we're not going to get into. We've talked about it in, in, in interdeterminism episode. Yeah. Um, but we want to, we want that you're going to find that this whole idea of power and strength is very qualified. And we're mm-hmm. going to, we're going to elaborate on that more later. Um, but so we can start on that now. All right. So those were all some of the initial, um, wording and and then and then um the the other other related concepts to help lay some groundwork down for us as we moved into the study Mm -hmm. so then we go through the 1700 verses um and we had you know the team of us that did the study everyone had their verses and we we read through them all we looked contextually hermeneutically at each thing and we started looking at what are the patterns that we're seeing what are some of the details and nuances that the scripture's emphasizing um 
in, 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 this, in this concept of power and strength. So we're going to con- tell you the conclusions and some of those details that we found out. So putting all this stuff together, we can come to the, uh, the definition of power and strength. And, and this can be really, really helpful. So the first thing I'll say is we were noticing that, the, that strength seems to be the physical, mental, or spiritual capacity to exert energy which is power. So the idea like power is kind of synonymous with energy or fuel. Um, and then strength is tapping into and using that power energy fuel. Um, and you can use it physically, but we found it can also mentally, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera. And so that, that was one thing. Another thing was you could then, so strength is, is the physical, mental or spiritual, uh, capacity or use of this energy or power to either, and we found both kind of an offensive thing and a defensive mm-hmm. thing. The offense, the the defensive thing, is to withstand, resist, or remain unchanged by some other force or desire, uh, and and then the offense is to produce some beneficial effect or to influence for good or to create or accomplish something. Mm-hmm. And in there's the kind of the neutral term. It's to resist another force or to accomplish or create something. That's kind of the neutral term. Biblically, the idea would be you're resisting evil detrimental forces and you're accomplishing good and beneficial sure. things, right? Um, so that was kind of cool for us to see. So the the uh, the definition that we ended up coming up with, let me flip over to the notes there, um, is, this was cool. So what is um, power and strength? The definition is it's a fire in the bones, uh, the spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, or verbal capacity to exert energy or power to either remain steadfast and unchanged by another force or desire or to influence or produce some effect. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that that's a good way to combine a lot of the different ideas that you were just talking through. And I like that it encompasses all of these different areas again. Uh, we see power is really being this thing that it can be spiritual and it's also physical and mental and emotional and verbal. Like all of these different components are a part of it. And if we are fully tapping into power, then we should see it in all of these different areas. Um, and and one, one side note I'll make, speaking of energy, um, if, you're, if you're hearing noise in the back, uh, Ghost tonight is just full of a bunch of energy, and so she's kind of running all around. So hopefully you don't have to hear all that, but if you hear us kind of laughing or something, uh, it's because we're trying to contain her. We're trying to use our power uh, to keep her at bay and, uh, and sitting, but <laughs> and it's, it's not working. It's not working. We, we are, we are not exerting our power and influence, uh, very well, very well. Um, anyways, so that is the, the definition of what power and, and strength is. So the next thing that we're going to move into is talking about that power and strength as it relates to God. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, there was a whole bunch of notes that we took from the study. And so we're just going to kind of rapid fire through uh, these notes and, and what we found, and we'll elaborate on, on some of them. But these were all things like it was either flat-out Scripture verses that we found or it was, it was one of the persons from the, from the research team's insight on it, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing we found was that God's wisdom and power belong to him alone, but that he does like to share and mm-hmm. delegate it. And, and, and you see right there, wisdom and power going hand in hand. Yeah. 
We also saw that regarding God, he has a firm foundation with strength in his belt, robed in majesty. We just saw that terminology used in a lot of different verses. There was some cool poetic language mm-hmm. uh, with that. Um, we saw that God is the holy mighty one who has done great things. We saw that God has subjected all things under Christ, although some may still be in rebellion. Uh, with God, all things are possible, and that's a qualified term. Um, so, for example, so there is limits. So we can kind of jump. Let's, let's jump into that. And sure. We'll come back to this. With the idea of omnipotence. So omnipotence means all-powerful. That phrase by itself makes you want to say God has all unlimited power, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means that he can use that power to accomplish anything. Well, there are limits to that. So if I told you there are some things that God can't do, people don't like that kind of language. But then when you actually explain it, because this is straight from Scripture, God cannot lie. Yeah. God cannot commit evil you know, or sin. He cannot tempt. Um, so he has limits, straight from Scripture. Mm-hmm. What we find is, what is the limit? He can't do anything that's contrary to his nature or his desires. And so once you hear that, you're like, oh, okay, okay, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. You even had that philosophical, um, you know, can God make a stone that he can't lift? Well, the answer actually is no. Because if he made a stone that was too heavy for him to lift, that means that that stone was stronger or bigger than him. Yeah. That's not possible because God is that of which, this is from Anselm, that of which nothing greater can be conceived. So if God is the ultimate reality and you can't even think of anything bigger than him because it's not possible, Mm -hmm. he literally is the biggest thing, well, then he can't make a rock that's bigger than him. So he can't make a rock that he can't lift. Sure. So people try to use it as a trap question, but it turns out, no, you're just w- working through this logically and philosophically, that God has the power to accomplish anything that's not contrary to his, his nature or will. Um, another note that we're going to come back to later on is, and, and so he does have the power to accomplish anything that's not contrary to him. That doesn't mean he always uses the power. Yeah. Uh, so we, we want to make a note on that. But anyway, so so when you go to the phrase that all things are possible, you know, I always take, you know, my approach to Scripture is to read it literally unless we can find that we're not to take it literally. Mm-hmm. So when I first read that verse, this is Jesus saying this in the Gospels, all things are possible. I think he says at least twice, all things are possible with God. You want to read it literally, but you know that it's not possible for him to lie. It's not possible for him to not exist. So there is a small asterisk when it says all things are possible. It's all things that are not contrary to his reality. Yeah. Does that makes sense. And it and it makes sense. And it's really this idea that um, God does have unlimited power. He is all powerful, but he's decided to limit his power to his nature. And so he's not going to act in a way that's outside of his nature. And right. that just makes sense when you think about it. And so there's not actually a problem mm. with that. No, it's just important that we enunciate that, right? That, that, that we point that out. Yeah. And so another point here is that no one is more able than God. No one's able to stand against his wrath and no one can overpower what he's done. 
um, we saw where God's that this was examples of him using that strength to accomplish these mighty things. He steadies the pillars of the earth. He silences the water. He commands the celestial bodies. You see this in Job and Psalms and Genesis. Yeah, and I actually do want to make one quick point about no one's more able than God. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times we tend to put Satan in the same category as God. Right. They're like God is the ultimate good and Satan's the ultimate evil. And they both have equal power that they're trying to both exert and try and like have this back and forth battle. And that's mm-hmm. not the picture at all Mm-mm. that scripture paints. No, cause Satan's created. Yeah. And so Satan is a creation of God. And so it makes a lot of sense that he wouldn't have the same extent of power that God has. And it's not a fair fight between the two of them. No. It is definitely that Satan is allowed to reign on earth for a time and for a purpose, which really goes back to the evil and sin and suffering studies that we've talked about. But um, I, I did just want to throw that out there that no one's more able than God and Satan isn't on the same level. Right, because like all. Satan is more powerful than us. Sure. And it would take a multiple humans to try to equal the power of Satan. But if you take Satan and all the other demons and you combine all their strength and power, it's a fraction of 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 God's power. Yeah. And it's interesting um, because even like Michael the Archangel, when he's dealing with Satan, he doesn't rebuke Satan directly. He calls on God to Mm -hmm. rebuke him. And so like Satan does have power, but it's just not in the same category as the power that God has. Uh, So I did just want to throw that in there. Another point is that God is actually able to destroy both the body and the soul in Gehenna. And Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 28. And we won't go on a rabbit trail on that, but that touches on to annihilationism. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting verse. Um, and then we saw God redeemed Israel by his great power. We see that God's able to raise up children to Abraham from stones. God has the power to raise the dead. Uh, God saves the poor from the hand of the mighty. He gives hope to the weak. God will resolve and fulfill every work of faith. Um, the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High is how Jesus was conceived. Uh, Jesus is mightier than John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus became strong in wisdom. Two notes there. We won't go a whole lot into the kenosis as far as the emptying of Jesus. But in in, in the incarnation, when God, the second person of the triune God, uh, took human form, he emptied himself of some of that divine nature and power. There's a bunch of theories on what all that means. Mm -hmm. But it talks about in Luke that he grew in stature and favor among, um, among men and among God. And so he also grew in power. So Jesus, when he was born, didn't have full power. He had to move in to that power and acquire that power. And we're going to be spending a lot of time on how to acquire such power. But he acquired it, and he acquired it with wisdom. And so you are seeing a pattern that power and wisdom should be used together. Which makes sense when you think about it. Um, After the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Um, you must bind the strong man before you can take his property. Jesus talks about this, showing that he, that he is stronger than Satan, which is what we were just referencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, authority and power go together. Uh, we see this with Jesus commanding demons to come out. And side note on that, so authority and power, so just like power and wisdom are hand in hand, uh, authority and power are also hand in hand, which is why the next episode that we're doing mm-hmm. is the authority and the, the leading, leading and following. And following. Um, and then we see that, that Je- we saw that Jesus is mighty in deed and word. The idea there that he was mighty and powerful in action and in persuasion and instruction. 
Jesus used power and force to perform miracles, and he coupled this with wisdom. He was able to heal. He had the power from the Lord to heal. And uh, we even see this directly when the bleeding lady touched Jesus as he was walking by her, power left him to heal her. And he felt that power go out. Yeah, because he says, my power has left me. Who, who, who touched me, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take a moment to uh, rabbit trail on this. Okay. This is, as a side note, just, it's a side note about getting into scripture, getting into the context, actually trying to visualize a passage. Like, what, what, what did this look like? you know, as you're reading it. Um, and so a number of years ago, I was at a conference and a, the guy was one of the sub, you know, workshops or whatever in the conference there. And he was walking through this. He was talking about taking like, like having a Jewish understanding of the gospels. And if you understood Jewish culture and Jewish history, mm-hmm. you understood the old Testament, you're actually going to understand some of the stuff that was going on with, with Jesus and the disciples. And, and he used this passage as an example. So there was an old elderly woman that had been bleeding for 12 years, and she hears that Jesus is coming into town, and there were all these crowds around him. So the guy had his, you know, he had his pictures. I want you to picture what this looked like. Everybody just pressing up on 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 Jesus, right? They wanted it because they heard he was this miracle worker and all that. Mm-hmm. So everybody's pressing up on him. And so there's the old lady that had been bleeding for 12 years. Then there was a rich guy um, that who had a daughter that was 12. So there's a little note there. He had a daughter that was the same age as how long the lady had been bleeding. And that's just hmm. a little detail. A lot of times we kind of skip over. And both the lady and the uh, rich man are able to approach Jesus. And it's first the rich man. So the rich man comes up and says, hey, I have a daughter that's sick. Can you, can you heal her? And Jesus says, yes, I'll come with you. So he, he, he asked this. He said, now with all the crowds, people pressing up on him, how did the rich man get there? Now, this is conjecture, but it helps you to visualize and bring this passage to color. So people in the class were, were saying maybe because he is rich or maybe he was influential or well-known that people just parted out of respect. Someone else had suggested if he was rich, he might have had like some bodyguards with him, and the bodyguard just like pushed through the mm-hmm. crowd to get him there, right? We don't know for sure, but it's kind of a cool visual to think about. And then he talked about the lady, and he said, now how did this this elderly lady who wasn't rich, didn't have any bodyguards, right, et cetera, how did she get up there? And so one theory was because she was elderly, maybe they respected her and let her. The stronger argument, and someone brought it up, was, well, she's bleeding. That means she was unclean, according mm-hmm. to Jewish law. And if someone's so unclean, nobody wanted to touch her. And so they actually would have parted a bit to let her come through. So that was kind of interesting. So then he goes to, um, so so she she approaches Jesus, and she says to herself, you know, if I only touch the hem of his robe... I'll be healed, and then she touches the hem of his robe, and, and then the power comes out of Jesus, and she's healed. So then he goes into the details of that, and he said, so Jesus was known as rabbi. He was called rabbi, and it seems that he wouldn't have been called rabbi if he hadn't gone through rabbinic training, which tells you a little bit maybe about some of his childhood or his teenage, you know, you, uh, 20-something, right, yeah. early years. Anyways, um, rabbis wore these, these robes, that had tassels on, on the end of them. Sometimes it was like a fabric tassel. Other times it might have been bells. Um, but they were known as kanapf. It's a Hebrew word. And the word itself means edge. So like if you talk about the edge of a table, you talk about the kanapf of the mm-hmm. table. Um, but the, the, the word kanapf could mean like the edge of a table, the edge of a door or building or whatever. But it was also used to reference the, uh, the fringe on a rabbi's cloak. It was also used to reference wings of a bird. 
So when you talk about a kanaf, could be a literal edge, could be the wings, could be the tassels and such on a, a rabbi's cloak. Um, he goes, that's important to know. Why? Because of Malachi. So you go, Malachi was the last prophet before John the Baptist. And so if you go back to Malachi 4.2, it says that, you know, for those of you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, mm. and you will go out and leap like a calf released from the stall, which we quoted actually last week in the Joy Study. Mm-hmm. So the Hebrew word kanaf shows up there with healing in its wings, with healing in its kanaf. Well, a lot of Jews that studied the Old Testament, the Tanakh, thought that was a messianic passage. And so if you revered God, this Messiah, the Son of Righteousness, and it was an S-U-N, by the way, not S-O-N, but the Son of Righteousness would have healing in its kanaf. And so some of them thought that, that what that meant was is that this Messiah would be some sort of rabbinic figure that would have these rabbinic robes with these tassels, these fringes, bells or fabric or whatever, and if you touched them, you would have get healing. They took it very literal. So mm. one of the things it tells us about this old lady was she knew her scripture, that she must have spent her entire life studying the Tanakh, the Torah, the Ketavim, and the Nevi'im. Um, and so she would have been familiar with Malachi 4.2. So when she says, if I just touch his tassels, I'll be healed, the idea is she's quoting Malachi 4.2 to herself, that she's saying, if I just touch his kanaf, I'll be healed. Well, that was a messianic passage. So what it was saying was she thought Jesus was the Messiah. Hmm. She thought Jesus was the fulfillment of Malachi 4.2. She says, this is the son of righteousness. And so if I touch his kanaf, according to Malachi 4.2, I'll be healed. So she goes and touches his kanaf. And she's healed. Hmm. So then when Jesus, you know, because he says, hey, power has left me. Uh, who touched me? The disciples say, hey, Jesus, people are everywhere, right? Anybody could have touched you. No, no, somebody specifically touched me, et cetera. And he turns around and he has a conversation with that lady. Um, and he says, your faith has healed you. Wow. And so he knows what she's thinking. And so he says, you believe that I'm the son of righteousness. You believe that I'm the fulfillment of the Malachi, the prophet, and you're right, and thus you were rewarded with that healing. Well, us Americans <laughs> reading that would never get any of that. No. I remember this was this was probably, oh gosh, 10 or 12 years ago. It's still stuck in my head. I don't remember the name of the guy that, that, that taught that, that little workshop, but I was blown away. And it just shows you how important it is to dive deep into scripture. You know, we've talked about we're coming close to wrapping up season three and season four, whenever we get it started, is going to be know that God. And then season five is going to be scripture. I mean, we may jump ahead and start season five, come back to season four, who mm-hmm. knows? But anyways, we're going to be going into scripture book by book. Yeah. And we're going to be taking this type of approach. So anyways, whenever I hear this example, I always want to take a moment to tell that story because it's mind blowing to me. Yeah. Cause there's just, um, like I, hours ago finished my undergrad and I've been taught like the importance of Bible study. You need to look at the old Testament and how it relates to the new Testament because there's, there's power in the old Testament and it really reveals things about the new Testament. And I don't think before because you didn't share that when we were just preparing for this until right now, I really don't think that I've heard such a powerful re like example example of the Old Testament influencing a New Testament passage. Because I always thought that it was kind of weird, like, okay, so this lady touched his cloak. That's cool. Like, Jesus has power. Awesome. Um, but 
your faith has healed you. Okay, sure. Yep. That kind of aligns with other things that we know about Christ, but just it being such a specific answer to prophecy right. is powerful. Right. And that's just why it's so important to know the old Testament, which is why I want to go to seminary. And right. that's like, so it's just really cool. Uh, just that example, how powerful that really is. Yeah. Cause a Jew mm. reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that knew the Tanakh well, would know what was going on there. We wouldn't necessarily, yeah. you know, know. Um, and and we can't rabbit. I mean, we could. We're not going to rabbit trail on examples. But you have um, by doing good to those who persecute you, you heap burning coals on their head. In Romans twelve, and then you have in Revelation the whole. I wish you were either hot or cold because you're lukewarm. Hmm. I'm going to spit you out. There's some cultural references to that. That yeah. if you understand those, those passages mean something different, and it's actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, have you also heard, I think this is Missler always said this, um, that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. I'm, I might be flipping that, but there was some kind of concept that Missler used to always say with that. I haven't heard that, but it makes a whole lot of sense, especially yeah. like in the context of this example. Right, and I thought of it as you were as you were saying that. So yeah, yeah so there, there's your cool little, little side note. So going back to the to the list, um, we also saw that death has no power over Jesus, and we also saw that Jesus's return will be with power and glory, and Paul's calling came from God's power. And we are to praise God's strength. So those are just some of the things that we saw regarding power and strength as related to God. I want to reiterate, there's, there's two main points, that, that are two qualifications, again, with this idea of omnipotence. One is, is that there are some limits to the power. We already have kind of just discussed that. I just wanted to reiterate it, that that God has this unlimited power, but in his discernment and temperance and patience, he's not going to use it to do just anything. So he's never going to use it to sin, yeah. right, et cetera. Um, and then the second thing is, and, and we didn't touch a whole lot on this, so I want to emphasize it a little bit now. Just because God has power doesn't mean that he uses it. Hmm. And this opens up a little bit of a can of worms. Um, but it's important. It's something that we saw in Scripture, that God uses that wisdom and discernment and temperance and patience as part of his omniscience. He uses that in pursuit of justice, meaning that sometimes, even many times, he actually refrains from using this unlimited power that he has. He refrains from using his strength to accomplish things or prevent things. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, I've heard a speaker talk about how um, God has decided to partner with humans as a part of just this whole prologue. Um, And it's just a really cool idea that God has actually decided to willingly and willfully limit himself based on human involvement. And so, like, there's examples of the Old Testament uh, or in different places where... um, God actually tells people to intercede on behalf of another person so then he can help them. And uh, I can't remember a lot of the specific examples off the top of my head, but just this idea that it is something that we see through um, the, old, the Old and New Testament oh, yeah. and really uh, just with the Great Commission, that God has commissioned people He's to delegated. go out and share the good news of the gospel with others. He's not doing it himself. He could do it himself, 
but he's decided to say, no, I actually want to get other people involved. And that really should be an exciting thing for us, that we have the opportunity to be involved in what God's doing. So this goes back to what we were mentioning earlier in this episode with the interdeterminism and sovereignty and free will. This very much goes back to um, the interdeterminism episode Mm -hmm. and then the sub-episode on evil and sin of why evil and sin occur. So we're going to encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes. We're going to uh, do a quick summarization here just so we can kind of touch on it. One of the things that Zach and I both believe, so Zach had mentioned, you know, we have this, if you have a spectrum, let's say of zero to 100, and we're talking about the issue of divine determinism. A zero would be basically atheism, which is there is no God, so there is no divine determinism. He has no factor in anything because he doesn't exist. Mm the single digits and teens and maybe even 20s would be like deism or deism. And the idea there is, yeah, there is a God that has a bunch of power, and maybe he set everything up, but now he's kind of stepped away from it all. And so he's not very engaged with life now. Um, He doesn't use this power. He used power to kind of create everything, but he doesn't use as much power or strength, whether hard or soft, right, Mm -hmm. Um, anymore. Thomas Jefferson was of that camp. Um, Then if you go to the opposite extreme to the 100, a 100 is everything is divinely hard determined. And so there is no free will. Everything is because God in in the moment, you know, um, actively, not just passively, intentionally caused something to happen through his omnipotent power and strength. um, And nobody could do anything otherwise. Mm There are some people who argue 100. There's really no one that lives at 100. Um, Then you have like from 30 to 99. And from 30 to 99 is the interdeterminism camp. And the interdeterminism camp is, it's a combination of all these things. So there's both, God uses both the hard determinism and the soft determinism. He does it actively and passively. There's also angelic and demonic hard determinism, soft determinism. There's human hard and soft determinism. There's animal hard and soft determinism. Um, potentially there's chance. Mm-hmm. There's different debates on that one. Um, but the idea there, the inner determinism people, which is the really the far majority of all Christians, yeah. is that it's some combination of all those things. Now, the reason why it's from 30 to 99, it's a very broad camp, is because there's all the different combination possibilities. So if someone's down in the 30s or 40s, they believe that the divine hard determinism is pretty rare. Hmm. It's more the divine soft determinism and then the angelic and human and everything else. Where if somebody's in the high 90s, you can call it compatibilism, which basically like 96, 97, 98, 99 would be God does cause everything, but it's also according to man's free will, and somehow it's both. We just don't know how. It's a mystery. Um, if you were in the low 90s or high 80s, it would be there's a ton of, of hard divine determinism. That's like the majority of things, mm-hmm. though God sometimes allows man to step in, etc. Um, Zach and I both tend to hold somewhere in the 50s or 60s in yeah. that range. Another thing that we would say is, but when we say that, this is very powerful in the interdeterminism study. What Zach and I actually believe is that God ranges all up and down mm-hmm. between 30 and 99. In our lives specifically, 
we feel that he acts mostly in the 50s and 60s. But in other people's life, depending on the person, the season, the situation, etc., um, he might pop up into the 90s. He might drift down into the 30s. And so, so we believe he pops all over that range, mm-hmm. and Scripture would seem to back that up. And then we observe in our lives kind of where he's at, right? Yeah, and it's really interesting when you um, recognize that range, but then you also recognize that God tends to meet people where they're at. And if you see God as really hard determining things all the time, you'll probably be more inclined to see more evidence of that because God yeah, may tend to do bias, that. Yeah. And so it's it's just interesting that uh, there is this spectrum, and along the spectrum there is this very passionate debate about uh, free will versus sovereignty, which is how that conversation is phrased. But if you go back and listen to that study, what we ended up finding out is that those those aren't the two sides of the discussion. Right. What the discussion really is is how often does God use hard determinism? Perfect. And it just changes the way that you really look at that whole discussion um, when you see that it, it's not— um, that people who lean to the free will, uh, that see free will as a more pervasive part of the human experience, they're not saying that God isn't sovereign, which especially when you remove sovereignty from determinism and from God's will and you recognize that being sovereign is having the final say, mm-hmm. we all agree, like all Christians, believers yeah. would hold to that. Yep. And so it's not an argument of does, does God have the final say? The, de- the debate has turned into defining sovereignty as hard determinism and pitting that against free will. And that's just really not what Scripture is debating. Yeah, and, and Greg Boyd, um, he, when, he, when he talks about like the compatibilism up in the, high, in the mid to high 90s and 100, he calls it the blueprint theory. And, and there are many Christians that hold to this. Mm-hmm. And what they hold to is God has determined everything. There's no way around it. So when you tie that back into this power strength thing, if you're up in the 90s in your theology, then God, just what you were saying is that God constantly uses his power in hard deterministic ways. Mm-hmm. And it's always that way, and there's no way around it. Where you and I believe, we would kind of encourage others to open up a little bit with that and be a little more flexible and recognize that he, that scripturally we can see the examples, all the above from 30 to 99 that there, yes, there are times when he uses his power in hard deterministic ways and there's no way around it, mm-hmm. but not a hundred percent of the time. Um, that's that many times he uses a soft, he uses his power in soft deterministic ways. He uses his power and strength to influence and persuade rather than compel or force. And again, so, so you and I believe it's all the above and, and that, and the percentages we, you really can't nail down the percentage. Mm -hmm. It really is going to vary from person to person, season to season, situation to situation. And so, and so what we, what we're encouraging people is, is understanding that spectrum of, of interdeterminism will affect how you see his power and strength. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, so if he uses his power in some soft deterministic way as influence, and then the person resists, that doesn't mean that he wasn't strong enough to Mm. make it happen. It's just that he chose to do influence instead of compulsion. Yeah. So this goes to um, what you were saying a minute ago. We call this the prologue theory, which is in this is in the sub episode on why evil and sin exist. And we're not going to go into all of this, but I, I will go ahead and say it just real quick here. 
I, I believe that this pro, you know, we're in the prologue, right? We're in a temporary, broken, messy prologue. And then the story actually begins with the first day of, of the eternal kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. And to me, I've always thought that God could have started the first day of heaven if he wanted to, and he didn't. So I don't hold to this idea that God started the first day of creation as heaven perfectly, and then Adam and Eve screwed it up, and now he's been spending 6,000 years to fix it. I don't hold to that. It's kind of taught that, but I don't believe it. I believe that he decided, you know what? I'm going to do a prologue first, this messy, broken prologue. I made Adam and Eve good, not perfect, Hmm. um, because there was some purpose in this prologue that I wanted accomplished. And I needed to get it done first before we did this perfect heaven. So one of the things that we go into tons of detail on, it goes back to this good and loving concept that we talked about. The theory is that, and by the way, I can't say the scriptures clearly teach this. Hmm. What I can say is the scriptures do seem to imply it to some extent. It definitely doesn't contradict scripture. And I really think it's the best explanation that I've ever heard of why a good, loving, all-powerful God allows so much evil and suffering. And, and, and to sum it up, the idea is kind of several key points. One point was, is free will. That, that God wanted man to have free will. He wanted him to choose to love, choose to obey. Mm-hmm. So he had to give him the option. The second point is the idea of moral responsibility, which is what I know what you were saying is even like takes moral responsibility and takes it to another level. Right. And I agree with you. So, but it was this idea of God's like, you know what, I'm going to choose to delegate the responsibility, some of the responsibilities of justice on the man. Hmm. So for example, there's certain things that God's, God's like, I'm going to do this, not you. There's other things that he says, Hey, I want you guys to do it. And then if we end up not doing it, he steps in and covers us and does it. Then there's other things that he says, I want you guys to do it. And if we don't do it, it doesn't get done. Hmm. And, and, and say, God, why, why didn't you, you step in? Because I asked you to do it. Well, I understand that, but we failed, so you should have stepped in. That's the thing. I asked you to do it. And, and I said, if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. And you didn't do it, so it didn't get done. Hmm. And so there's a combination of all these things, right? Complex view of justice and all that. Anyways, that's, that's the second component. The third component is the beneficial goods that we've talked about. That God, in his goodness and in his love, um, as he was creating man and angels and all, you know, all of creation, all of the universe, the whole cosmos. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, you know, in his love, he's like, I want people to experience every beneficial good possible because I'm fully loving and fully good. I want them to experience every beneficial good that's out there. As he was going through that, the idea is, is he, he came to a dilemma of sorts where he found that certain beneficial goods can only happen in the midst of evil, sin, suffering, etc. So for example, um, like the uh, uh, sacrifice, uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness is a big one. Mm-hmm. You can't forgive somebody unless a sin occurred. And the idea is forgiveness is such a beneficial thing that he wanted humans to experience it, both being forgiven and forgiving another. But he knew that that forgiveness, sacrifice, triumph, quenching, um, transformation, the whole journey itself— all these things are beneficial goods that he wanted us to experience, but they could only happen in the midst of evil, sin, and suffering. Mm-hmm. But he'd already made a determination that in the heaven, this eternal kingdom of heaven that he's designing, there'd be no evil or sin. So he realized, I've already ruled out no evil, sin, and suffering in heaven, which means those beneficial goods mm-hmm. can't occur. But I want those beneficial goods to occur. 
but I'm not going to let the, I'm not going to allow evil and sin in heaven. So what do I do? Well, I'll create intentionally a temporary broken, messy dust prologue and create broken, messy dust people and populate them with free will, with the moral responsibility, the authority and delegation that you were talking about. And I'll put them in the prologue um, for all those reasons. And then that way they can experience or have the opportunity to experience those beneficial goods. Um, and then I'll end the prologue at some point. Mm. I'll go ahead and die on the cross to cover and atone for all the sin that was caused during that time. I'll also fully compensate all the suffering that, that happened during that time. Um, and so I'll make everything right as we head into the eternal kingdom. Um, that's something I think you and I both mm-hmm. hold to. We have some yeah. details that we differ on, which is great. I think it just builds on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we hold to that, we then see God's use of power and strength differently. The other thing I'll say is we encourage you to listen both to the suffering episode and the um, grieving episode. And so we spend time, based on this stuff that we've already explained, we go into suffering and we talk about there's basically two sources of suffering. There's God-initiated suffering and others-initiated suffering. And, and to oversimplify or just summarize all this, the, in, the, in the suffering episode, God-initiated suffering is suffering that he causes. He does it reluctantly, mm-hmm. but he does it because it's necessary, because there's some beneficial good that can occur through that suffering. So if you're experiencing suffering, the practical application was first figure out, is this God-initiated or others-initiated? And if it's God-initiated, learn that lesson, acquire that benefit, whatever it is, or if it's a warning, turn Mm -hmm. back, right? We go through all the different, because we give there's different examples of God, there's different types of God-initiated suffering. Um, But embrace that, right? And and, and push through that desert. If it's others-initiated suffering, God doesn't want that to happen. And we say, well, if you don't want it to happen and you have the power to stop it, why don't you stop it? And so this is that whole thing. If God has the power to stop it and chooses not to, it's because he doesn't want, he wants the suffering to occur or he doesn't really want it to occur, but he doesn't have the power and strength to stop it. So he's not all powerful, right? This is that, that dilemma that you always hear, Um, the, the theodicy issues where what we would say is going back to kind of full circle with what you're saying, Zach, is that God, absolutely God has the power and strength to stop the other's initiated suffering. But because he's delegated certain responsibilities to mankind and given them free will, partly because of all these beneficial goods that he wants to see occur, he is going to choose to refrain from using his power to stop those things. It's not because he's not loving. It's not because he's too weak. He's all loving, all good, all powerful. But it's because in his omniscience, in his wisdom, in his discernment, he understood there were other factors going on. This goes back to complex view of justice. Yeah. There were other factors going on that he had to chose to go ahead and refrain. And this becomes then a trust issue. Do you trust in his all goodness? Do you trust in his omniscience? Um, do you trust in his, his, his wisdom and discernment and love and all these things? Um, because if he's chosen to refrain from using that power, there needs to be a reason. And, and by the way, because what you kind of conclude is there was some reason why God allowed it. Well, a lot of times if I hear Christians, someone's going through suffering and they go through, well, there must be some reason for you, so you need to trust in God. And I hate that cliche. Mm-hmm. We spent h- hundreds of man hours, right, among all the teams, researching all this stuff, laying it all down to come to that same conclusion. Yeah. But we just don't like it when someone jumps to that cliche-ish conclusion without explaining it. Mm-hmm. If you actually begin explaining all the factors, it helps to be able to chew on it. 
Yeah, because like you'll hear people quote, um, all things work together for the good of those who love God, which is true. Um, but a lot of times that's not the first verse that people <laughs> right that are in the here. midst of suffering need to hear. They need to be comforted by God's love, God's presence, God's the power that God can provide them. There's all of these different things, and um, depending on a lot of different factors, it can be easy to just jump to a passage like that mm-hmm. and just provide that sound bite of, no, it's right. okay. Uh, all things work together for the good of those who love him. And it's true, but we do need to be very careful with what we say, how we say it, when we say it. This is all a part of speaking the truth in love. It's not watering down truth at all. It's not denying that it is true. It's just having the wisdom to um, say things in the timing that they need to be said because Mm -hmm. language is powerful. Super. Like we talk about physical strength, emotional strength. There is power in communication. Verbally. And yeah, and so if you are not using your verbal power with wisdom, you're actually misusing it and it can cause a lot of damage. Yep. And so see, then that goes to the grieving study where we talked about what does biblical, and I, was, I love that, right? And, mm-hmm. and Vicki, my friend, doctor, you know, was there with us. Um, we, we walked through what biblically and psychologically, what have we found is the grieving process? And I, I, I was super encouraged by yeah. it, right? It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And so we, we talked about, you know, have to go through the suffering study first, but understand that God actually grieves with you. Hmm. And again, the idea is, well, God, if you're grieving this, why didn't you stop it? This is why you have to unpack all yeah. of these things. But God wants, God wants you to grieve the suffering it's part of that spiritual and psychological process through it of healing mm-hmm. and he's going to join you and he wants other wise people to come alongside you and he doesn't want stupid untimely cliches you know given with all that yeah. so so we say all that so that that you can understand where we're coming from when we talk about that we do believe that god has this unlimited power but he but that strength the app the the use of that power he uses it discerningly mm-hmm. we could even say sparingly to some extent because of this intentional broken prologue that we're in. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to try to explain it like if, if this was your first study, you know, listening yeah. to this, um, where we, you know, where we came, all the things that we were already thinking of as, as we came to that conclusion. So, so that is the stuff about God and, and his power that we wanted to talk about. Now we want to shift to some of that implication and application. And this actually off the top of my head, probably along with love, these were the two that, and maybe justice, that had the most application. So mm-hmm. like a lot of the studies that we went through, it was a whole lot of, of understanding what the concept was and what it means that God is that. And then there was some application for us. We found with this power and strength and, 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 and some others that it was almost like we, the Bible kind of quickly touches on God's power. We just spent, you know, an hour <laughs> breaking it down. But you, we, we quickly, it quickly touches on God's power, and, but then it goes to, and now we want to get to the application. We want you to tap into this power. So, so, this, so now we move into what to do with this. And what we find is there's basically there's two points, the Bible says. Point one begin to tap into this awesome divine power that God has mm-hmm. and point two, so that in your, in, in my strength, you can use that power to accomplish good or justice. 
So, so what is the application of this study? One, begin to tap into God's awesome divine power. And two, then you, as you tap into it, don't just sit on it, hmm. use it to go accomplish good, to go accomplish kingdom work, right? So we found a whole bunch of um, specific details that we're just going to kind of rapid fire through uh, breaking this down. So as far as, you know, Ephesians talks about be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. A little side note on that. Uh, Bram Stoker's, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. So Dracula was written by Bram Stoker, and then Francis Ford Coppola made a film in the 90s or early 90s, whatever it was. Okay. Anyways, um, oh, what's his name? Um, his name now, but the, the uh, Anthony Hopkins is one of the characters in the book. And there's this scene where, like, like um, the, the vampires possess this girl. So he pulls this cross out. And I didn't realize it was scripture at the time until later on, uh, later on I came into Ephesians 6 and the armor of the God. And there's be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Anthony Hopkins just starts chanting that over and over again as he holds the cross up to the lady who's being influenced by the vampire. And he's like, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And even, even now when I say that, I kind of get little goosebumps. There's just something yeah. powerful with, with, it, with that phrase. But anyway, so Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And this is in the spiritual warfare chapter, by the way, hmm. right? Yeah. Anyways, so how do I do that? How do I be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? How do I gain or acquire or tap into his power and strength? And we found there's kind of four main ways. One way is um, the Spirit can help and intercede on our behalf. So look at the Holy Spirit as like a bridge to kind of God the Father. Um, I don't want to go too much into the whole, yeah. whole triune thing, <laughs> but, but we found that, that the spirit will intercede for us and help us. This goes back to, by the way, Galatians five, walking in step with the mm-hmm. spirit. Um, as you walk in step with the spirit, the spirit's going to help you tap into that power. Yeah. And then, uh, so the spirit can help you tap into the power. God himself can just empower and strengthen you. And so this is according to the riches of his glory. He can really just give you power and strength. And so we as believers have a spirit of power, temperance, and love, and we're each given talents and resources according to our own ability and power. We see this in the power, uh, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. So note that you actually have human power and human strength, human capability, human mm-hmm. ability, human talents, and God wants you to use that power. That power is fairly weak yeah. right, overall, so absolutely use it, but no, that's not sufficient. And so you also want to combine it with his, his power. Um, and then a third way is, so, so like the spirit can help kind of bridge the gap, intercede. God, the father can just choose to kind of initiate and give it to you. A third way is by you being fully committed to him and walking in step with him. Um, he is searching for those types of people. Mm-hmm. So he is looking, you know, his eyes seek to and fro, um, looking for the willing, the humble, the good, the loving, et cetera, the, the mature. And so it seems that sometimes he's going to give you power to help you mature. Other times as you're maturing, you, because when we're talking about in the seven stage journey back in season one, mm-hmm. um, to the walk, to the wind walkers, he says, you're the ones that I can trust now because you've spent so much time water walking. Um, and so to, you know, whom much is expected or much is given, much is expected, et cetera. God says, you guys have shown yourselves reliable, so I'm willing to delegate even more power to you for you to use because I know you're going to be good stewards of that power. And so the idea here is, so how do, how do I get there? How do I become one of those individuals that I've become trustworthy 
Well, I mean, the short answer is you got to trust in him, right? But, mm-hmm. but you trust in him. The more you trust in him, the more trust. And by the way, trusting him, believing him, two th- different things on the same scale, blah, blah, blah. Go back and listen to the faith study. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, if, if you're be- how do I become more trustworthy? So I have a, a several sub points here. You need to begin searching for him. Trust, you know, uh, draw near to the Lord. And he'll draw near to you. Mm-hmm. Um, begin to trust and hope in him and his promises more deeply than you already are. Mm. Don't just assume I already trust God. That's just not true. <laughs> you partially trust him. You can always trust him more and hope more. Um, hold firm to the word. So apply the details of Scripture to the details of your lives. Um, stand firm in the Spirit of the Lord. In, also stand firm in Christ's grace. Stand firm in faith. Stand firm in tradition. Stand firm in freedom. These were all some of the passages that, that we saw. Um, remember the joy of the Lord is my strength. So, so start thinking about and experiencing those baskets that we talked about um, in the joy study. You get strength that way. Uh, glorify Him. And remember from the glory uh, episode. That is the four R's. You begin to recognize his resplendent heaviness. You revel in that, begin to reflect it, and then reveal it to others. As you're doing those four, um, you're able to tap into to his strength more. Um, put on the full armor of God. Uh, you'll get power and strength that way. Uh, obviously, just obey him. So carrying out his word, keeping every command. Um, putting iniquity away. So so resisting and turning away from, from sin. sin. Sin will hinder it. Um, sometimes you just need to ask for it. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Um, and so just pray and say, and say, Lord, give me, you know, give me that strength. Um, I think we're going to touch on that uh, when we get to the, our personal takeaways from, from all this. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, so, so those are some of the ways that you can begin to water walk and wind walk, mature in your faith, become more trustworthy. And now that you're more reliable, he'll give you that power. And we can also acquire strength through normal methods. And so food and water can provide strength, rest. Um, something that I have overlooked a lot, um, which is partially the phase of life that I'm in, is just the idea of Sabbath and how mm. I actually do need to be spending time resting. Yeah, uh, true. If God in creation spent six days creation and then rest on the seventh day, uh, he was doing that to show us that we need to do that. Um, and that's just a side note, but something that I'm not very good at. Um, we can also acquire strength by just having joy in the spices of life, uh, through knowledge and wisdom, which is even better than strength. Scripture says, uh, helping the poor and just those around us, we can acquire strength in fellowship and camaraderie, Mm -hmm. uh, just in community really helps with strength and we can be encouraged by others that are doing good and so and by ourselves doing good but just when we see other people also tapping into the wit we can get tapping strength. into power we can get some power too and one note on the um that knowledge and wisdom is even better in strength and we're going to come back to this that was another little interesting pattern that we saw in this study that power and strength are awesome but they're not everything hmm. and that like you know if you had to choose between power and knowledge and wisdom choose knowledge and wisdom if you had to choose between power and love, choose love. You don't have to make that choice between all of them. You can actually get all of them. Hmm. Um, but it's almost like we either put too many eggs in the strength basket or not enough eggs, right, in, the, in that basket. Yeah. Um, and there's kind of a, a, a middle ground there. Um, so it was cool to see all these different ways that one can begin to tap into God's strength. So go back and listen to that little list again. Find what resonates with you. Like, ooh, I like that method. 
and then begin using that method. Yeah. Or if you're at a place in your prayer life where you're hearing from God, then ask God, God, which method do you want me using right now from this list um, to begin tapping in your strength more and then let him tell you, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we're going to assume that you've begun doing that. And so you're tapping into that God's power and strength. You're, you're acquiring more of it. Um, and so you are being more stronger in the Lord and the power of his might. So that moves to the second point. So now that you're tapping into that power, now that you have the power, don't just sit on it. Use it for good. And so go out in the strength of the Lord and do good. Mm. And so we have kind of two sections to this. First is how, and then the second is to what end or for what purpose. So some of the things that we found in the study as far as how am I supposed to use this strength or things to keep in mind as you use this strength. One is knowing that that strength can be both an inner thing, um, and so it makes you more resilient. So soul, faith, heart, mind, etc., there's also outer strength, which is you being more influential through you know, bodily actions or words. Um, and so that's helpful that sometimes God wants you to use the strength internally to make you more resilient. Other times he wants you to use that strength externally to accomplish some good thing. Yeah, and we also need to use strength with the right motivations. We need to use it with love, with that reverential fear and awe of the Lord, uh, and with wisdom understanding, peace, joy, and courage. These, there's all of these different aspects that really need to be playing a part as we're using strength. And so one little note there, let's say you're beginning to tap into the this, this strength of God. And one of the big things you know, we emphasize is stop tapping as much into your strength and start tapping mm-hmm. in more into his. As you're doing that and you now have the strength, if you begin using that strength but you're not very loving, or you don't have a lot of that excited, shaking fear of the Lord, or you're not using a lot of wisdom or understanding, um, or you don't have a lot of peace and joy, you're probably going to use that strength wrongly or Mm. poorly. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important. Remember remember in in the biblical rebuke thing that we did a couple of episodes back, we talked about you can't be biblically rebuking somebody if... If one, you're not um, knee deep in love, hmm. two, you're not taking the place of your own eyes, etc. If you're not doing those things, you can't. You're not allowed to rebuke. It's the same idea here. It seemed that the Bible was saying that. Listen, if you know, just because I give you the strength doesn't mean that you're supposed to just go use it blindly without anything else. Yeah. I also want you using it coupled with love, wisdom, you know, etc. Uh, and then the other point that that we saw that helped with like kind of how or things to keep in mind is this is from Ecclesiastes 10, 10, where it talks about, uh, you know, sharpening the axe, and if an axe is dull, it doesn't accomplish as much. And so this idea of, you, you know, you sharpen the axe to save strength. So this is kind of with the wisdom and discernment. Hmm. You could have a blunt axe, and you could have a strong, uh, a sharp axe. So let's say there was two individuals. One of them has a 10 out of 10 on strength, and they've got a blunt axe. The other one has a 7 out of 10, and strength, and they have a sharp axe. If you go by strength alone, the 10 person is going to be able to chop down more trees than the 7 person because they're stronger. That's not true. This is why this power thing is so qualified yeah. that, that the sharp axe also needs to happen. And so the person with the weaker strength but the sharper axe can actually cut down more. And so what, what is that telling us? It tells us to, to, to use that wisdom and discernment and to hone and refine Mm -hmm. 
um, your use of that stuff. And so it's not just the raw power, it's a refined honed power that's going to go a long way. Which even goes back to what we were saying, that knowledge and wisdom is even better than strength. And so if you know that you need to sharpen your axe before you go and cut something... You don't even need as much strength. Yeah, and it kind of even comes back to being a stewardship issue. And so we want to be effective in how we use the things that God has given us, including power and strength. Yeah. And so in order to do that effectively and be a good steward, we need to use wisdom. So another way to say that is, let's say God gave both you and I 10 pounds of strength. And he said, now go use this strength. And I had a dull axe and you had a sharp axe. I need all 10 pounds of strength hmm. to you to... to put towards that dull axe to cut down one tree. You're able to use five pounds with the sharp axe to cut down one tree and then five pounds to cut down a second tree. So we were both given 10 pounds of strength. We were both given the same amount of power, but because your axe was sharper, you cut down twice as many trees as I did. Yeah. So it's just, it's just cool. Like when you think about it, you're kind of like, duh, but it's important to bring that stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this also leads into what, for what purpose are we to go and use the strength of the Lord that we can get? And so we use God's strength to carry out God's directions and perform acts of righteousness. We're going to use God's strength to tread down and destroy the enemy and demolish strongholds with his divine power, keeping in mind that our, our enemy is not flesh and blood, mm-hmm. but against, but the principalities and powers of this dark world. We also use God's strength to endure or escape temptation and to keep from stumbling. We need his strength to repent and say sorry. Hmm. We also need his strength to be slow to anger. Um, It helps to use his strength to bear with the failings of the weak. God's strength also allows us to strengthen exhausted hands. We can use his strength to defend, protect, rescue, save, deliver, preserve the oppressed. And God's strength also helps us to preserve or endure through trials and illness and bear burdens, really our own burdens and the burdens of others. Right, both. Um, It's his divine strength that helps us counter fear and discouragement and to encourage others. God's strength also can create or sustain. Um, It helps to have his strength as we make wealth to give of resources to worthy projects. We can also use God's strength to support, assist, and help others. Uh, His strength is needed for valor in war and to conquer kingdoms. Again, more of a spiritual thing. Yeah, and we also use God's strength in daring deeds. And we we need his divine strength so that we can judge and rule well, accomplishing things if we're in positions of authority. And a note with all of this that it's important to keep in mind that Scripture does talk about not glorying in your might. And so one passage, well, there's two passages that come to mind. One is um, that, and I just blanked out on the first one, so I'll say the second one that I had. (laughs) Um, There's an example, I believe it's Luke 12, where Jesus sends out the disciples. And so 70 people go out, and they're doing all of these incredible miracles in the name of Christ. They're healing people. They're doing all these things. And then they come back, and they're like, Jesus, all of these things happen. We have so much power and authority. And what Jesus tells them to rejoice in is he tells them to rejoice in the fact that their names are written in heaven. They're not supposed to rejoice in the Mm -hmm. fact that they were able to do all these great things, these powerful works. They're supposed to rejoice in the fact that they have actually been saved and counted worthy to be able to use that power. Right, that's even a that's even and, bigger deal. And it just flips the script mm-hmm. on how we typically see because we want power so we can do things. We can, uh, even with good intention, we can do things and point the and glory back to Christ. And celebrate that. Yeah. yeah. But Christ just provides this subtle reminder that that's not what it's about. 
what we actually need to be rejoicing is in the fact that we have that relationship with him first and foremost. And the other passage is that God resists the proud and mm-hmm. gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. And so we need to not be glorying in our might because one, we need to recognize that it's not our might that actually is empowering us to do things. It's God's power, not our own. And right. so we need to make sure that we're recognizing that and we're not being prideful as we're using his power because then we will actually be resisted by God, which um, is something that obviously we do not want to have happen. Right. So, so practically speaking, just like with that first list as far as tapping in, we would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that list several times and kind of just copy down the notes and ask God to show you which way he wants you to tap in. Same here. Go back and listen to that list that we just went through um, and say, Lord, as I'm tapping into your power, there's many different ways I can use this power according to Scripture. Which way do you want me to use it? And so this is, you know, this is if you can hear God in prayer mm-hmm. and let God reveal to you, yes, I'm giving you this strength not for you to go use however you want. Sometimes he may say that, but more often he's got a specific purpose in mind. He's saying, now go use it for this. And sometimes, you know, some of these are still kind of general. He can give you even more detailed answer. Mm-hmm. So if you know, talks about to bear with the failings of the weak, he'll actually tell you which weak person he wants you to be, to, um, to bear the, fail- the, the stuff with. This goes back by the way to typically, you know, typically we Christians, we don't even go to God and say, God, what specifically do, do you want me to do? We just kind of just choose on our own. Like, <laughs> well, we'll wing it. Yeah. If we're going to God and say, God, please give me direction on this, um, it's great that we do that. But a lot of times we don't ask him for the power to do it. And so we try to do it on our own power and then we fail. Um, and so we're going to come back to this when we get to the, to, to the takeaways. But um, realizing that not only are you supposed to be asking direction from him, but then asking for... Uh, his power to do any of these things. This this goes the same with resisting sin. If yeah. you try if you try to resist sin on your own, on your own strength, yeah, it's probably not going to work, right? Maybe <laughs> sometimes. Um, but if you're tapping into his power, it's the supernatural power um, that can help you. Can you resist that sin? So so that's something I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that list. So so those are the main two points. The application thing of so go tap, you know, understand what this divine power is, go tap into it and then use it to go do good in all these different ways. We also want to take a moment just to discuss real quick weariness. So remember back in the, in earlier in the episode, we listed out the opposites, right, of strengths, mm-hmm. like weak. And so we saw that a lot of times um, the opposite of strong was weak or weary. And so we found a couple notes on weary. Um, one, God has compassion on those whose strength has left them. So it's not this, if you become weak or weary, he's like mad at you, you know, buck up, etc. He actually has compassion on you in that weakness, in that weariness. That's really cool. That doesn't get mad. He has compassion. Um, and then he's going to help you get more joy, get more strength so that you, that you can rebound. Um, understanding goes down when we're weary. Oh, this is, this is, this is another big one. When you're getting weak when when that power that energy is being drained from you and you're now weary it makes it more difficult to understand things Hmm. so so inversely as you're tapping into his divine power that gives you the strength you need to better understand scripture so that's actually i didn't think about that just till now so even when you're approaching scripture trying to research and study and learn from it you should be asking for his power to do that even 
Yeah. Um, because it, it's helpful with the uh, understanding. So understand that when you, so by the way, that what this means practically is when you're weary, tired, drained, weak, try not to make any decisions. <laughs> um, because you don't have a lot, a lot of understanding at that time. And so you're going to make, you're going to make poorer decisions. Um, and then, and then the third point is give rest to the weary, which goes back to, uh, your point about the Sabbath that you made earlier. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a reminder, if somebody's weak, don't just tell them to buck up and get strong, allow them to rest. Cause rest is one of the sources for getting strength. Um, this would be like, you know, a soldier and spiritual battle, um, there's times when you need to go take a Sabbath and to rest so that you can get the strength to go back into the battle. Mm-hmm. So that was just a couple little notes that um, I wanted to make on, on weary. So then when we do all these unpacking studies and we look at, so what is the definition? What are some of the details and nuances of all this? Then we look at what are the benefits to this? And so what are the benefits to tapping into God's divine power? What are the benefits of using that power for good, for, for kingdom work? And so we found an, a number of them from, from the study. We found that, that if you're receiving and using uh, this God's divine strength for good, you're now going to have a fortress, a shield, a rock. We also saw that we are binded and made firm and resilient with a firm step and steadfast heart as a result of this. Um, We're going to have greater knowledge, understanding, and comprehension. And also we're going to have confidence. And we're going to go from strength to strength. So it's like cyclical and it builds upon itself. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have favor and blessing from God. We also know that we can do all things through him who strengthened us. Philippians 4, is it 13? 13 or 16. Yeah. So let's take a moment to pause and touch on that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I've seen over the years, Spectrum, two extreme versions of this. So one thing is I see people quoting it to kind of mean whatever they want it to mean. Mm -hmm. And they use it out of context. Um and you know the, you'll, you'll see it on sports posters and things like that. So I'll say, I, I can you know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and therefore I can use it to slam dunk this basketball or whatever. Then I see, and that that frustrates me less than the second group. Hmm. The second group are these haughty, just kind of jerks that say they roll their eyes. Oh, that's out of context. That's not what this verse means. So stop using it that way. And they're just jerks as they say it. Um, now, are they right that that's not the context? Yes, because what is the context? The context is being content in all circumstances. Yeah, so Paul says, I've learned. I've learned these- yeah, I've learned to uh, be content with having much. I've had little. I've done all of these things and all things I are um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength so so my point on spectrum is avoid both extremes hmm. and, and and what does that mean practically don't just label it to mean whatever you want it to mean right you always want to start contextually with any sort of any sort of verse but also don't go to the other extreme and be a jerk, be arrogant that you've learned how you're not supposed to use that verse. That's just an example of an immature Christian, maybe not even a Christian who just doesn't know their scripture. Like, just stop. Just stop. Just stop. I just repeat that. It, it, it really, really frustrates me. The thing is, is yes, the context of that passage is contentment, that I can have all kinds of contentment because of the strength that the Lord gives me. 
does that mean that that's the only application of of that truth mm-hmm. that that I can only have strength for contentment no absolutely not mm-hmm. because all the other passages it's get his strength so that you can do this get his strength so that you can do that get his strength so that you can become this again and again and again and again so to those that that are in that second group that you love to point out to people that that's not the context of that verse you need to stop it because you're almost you're actually becoming wrong in your, in, in your statement because you're so mad that they used it out of context that you say there's only one way to use that verse. That's not true. So, for example, the the New Testament writers quote Old Testament verses out of context a bunch of times hmm. because there's multiple layers. There's multiple contexts. Yes, the author meant this originally, and therefore, yes, it does mean that. It doesn't mean that it's only that, especially when we have all these other verses that talk about God can give you strength to do X, Y, and Z. So, so yes, in Philippians 4, God can give you strength to have all the contentment that you need. That's true. Mm-hmm. But that's not it. Yeah. He also gives you strength to do all these other things. So that's why, like, please hold to that moderate approach on the spectrum there. Don't think it's the only meaning, and don't do that arrogantly and condemningly. And also don't make it think you can mean whatever you want it to mean. But if you can find another verse that talks about God gives me strength to do this, you know, because even like, like, you know, Jesus says, with, with God, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. Um, even the rich get in heaven, right, et cetera. So that's just a little note that I wanted, a little comment that I wanted to give on that, um, because I just, I really get irritated at that, at that and I shouldn't get irritated because love's <laughs> not irritated, so I understand it. So I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, just be careful, right? Don't, don't just argue the opposite. Yeah, and I think a lot of your frustration and concern comes from the mindset and approach that someone that's correcting someone that is taking that verse out of context the way that they're doing that. Yeah. Um, because there is a way, like another verse that I have heard a lot of times in co- out of context is uh, where two or three are gathered, the spirit of the Lord is there. And so I hear that in the context of worship services a lot of different times. And that context is biblical rebuke and correction. Mm. Um, and so there's something to be said about we do like to take – there are a lot of verses in Scripture that have ended up on Hallmark cards. Uh, my youth pastor would always call them Hallmark verses. Um, but there are a lot of these passages that do get taken out of Scripture quite often. And it is we're not saying – Ignore the context, just say whatever verse for whatever situation. That's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is if you do feel the need to point out the context to someone, you need to do it in a way that's gracious and loving. Right. Um, and recognize that even if the immediate context doesn't necessarily apply to that specific instance, there is still application that can be drawn from that verse mm-hmm. that does apply. And so we need to not cut it all off right. just for the sake of arrogant accuracy. And there may be other verses that actually prove the point they're trying to make. So maybe they use the wrong verse to make the point they're trying to make, but the point they're trying to make is still biblical. Yeah. And for example, where the spirit of the Lord or where two or three are gathered, the spirit of the Lord is, I would say that that is true that wherever, cause 
really it boils down to wherever one person is, the spirit of the Lord is because the believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Yep. And so while that verse isn't specifically talking about a worship context, it may be fine for a worship leader to use that. If they I, I would argue that they should understand the context. Right. But it just the idea that you're getting at I think is important that we do need to moderate with how we're interacting with each other. And so think about this for a second. Let's go back to that second column, that list of like some of the purposes of how to use strength. So I can use God's strength to perform acts of righteousness, to tread down the enemy and demolish strongholds, to endure escape temptation, to keep from stumbling. I can use God's strength to repent and say I'm sorry sincerely. I can use God's God's strength to be slow in anger. I can use God's strength to bear with the failings of the weak. I can use God's strength to strengthen exhausted hands. I can use God's strength to defend, protect, and rescue the oppressed. I can use God's strength to persevere and endure through trials and illnesses and to bear burdens. I can use God's strength to counter fear and discouragement. I can use God's strength to create or sustain. I can use God's strength to give a resources to worthy projects. I can use God's strength to support, uh, assist, and help others. I can use God's strength to have valor in spiritual war and to conquer spiritual kingdoms. I can use God's strength to perform daring deeds, and I can use God's strength in judging and ruling well. Thus, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hmm. Right? So the the verse actually can mean exactly that. I understand that the context is referring to contentment, but we, you know, you and I talk a lot about how the Bible should be taken comprehensively. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, their, their point is actually right. Yeah. So stop trying to correct them in a haughty way, right? <laughs> anyway, so let, let's continue with the, with the benefits. Another benefit um, is that we can make a long journey and outrun chariots. There's some specific passages that talk about that. Um, the the another benefit is it can prevent disease and keep and keep in mind this could be you know kind of physical human strength also spiritual strength it can prevent disease this goes back to the suffering thing we were talking about earlier it won't always yeah right but it can um, strength can also be used to impact change and influence and that's a benefit of receiving strength uh, it encourages others we've talked about that before uh, many will entreat your favor for they can trust you. And so as you're actually using strength and might correctly and according to God's parameters, people will actually come and seek you out for help. And so then you can actually assist them. Right, because you're a rarity. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about most of the world, back to the seven states journey, most of the world never joins Jesus' boat. Most of those who join Jesus' boat don't go out in the water to water walk or, or wind walk. And so it's a minority of a minority. Mm-hmm. Um, that do that kind of thing. And so you're definitely going to be needed. Yeah. Um, and then and then we will reap uh, if we don't give up. And so keep using that strength for good, and then we're going to reap treasures and rewards uh, because of that. And along with all of this, we just want to reiterate that pride can show up when uh, we see power and strength come a lot, uh, come and be used. And w- how can we lose power and strength? I think that there's a couple different ways that this can happen. Um, one is by denying God's power. If we're trying to uh, use power and strength, but we're just trying to use our own and we're denying God's power, then it's not going to be nearly as effective as it could be. Disobedience and iniquity is another way to lose God's power. Um, we actually see this in Judges sixteen twenty with Samson. And it says Mm. that he did not know that the power of the Lord had left him. Mm -hmm. And that's something that as believers, we don't need to be scared of, but we do need to be aware that if we are continuing in sin, God wants to restore us. We've gone through all of that in previous unpackings, but there is 
a sense or there is a point where we are going to lose the power of God if we are just continuing in sin. Um, and so that is something that we need to be aware of. And we do need to let that be another reason to avoid sinning. Um, in addition to that, we can lose power and strength by being unwise with it. If we are correcting each other in a ha- in a haughty way and doing some of the things that you were talking about, we can lose power and strength. Um, unbelief or thinking on tough and uncomfortable things is another way to lose power and strength. And one other thing that, that's an idea like pessimism, yeah, or doubt. Um, if you're if you're pessimistic or you're hyper focused on on the negative realities of things or you're doubting. Mm-hmm. Um, God doesn't withhold power from you as a punishment for doing that. Yeah. It's just, hey, you're not in a place to use this well, so I'm not going to give it to you right now. Yeah, and an example of just power, uh, just some of the complexity with this is actually in a book I was reading, Top Ten Leadership Conversations in the Bible by Steve Moore. He talks about favor and how um, there's he talked about this example where you can actually have some power in the Lord, but not have the favor of the Lord. And so he talked about a evangelist who was preaching sermons. People were coming to Christ and um, someone, he was speaking at a conference and he got picked up from the hotel. And as the guy got there a little early to pick up this evangelist to go to his next speaking engagement, and when he got there, a prostitute came out of the evangelist's room. And the person the night before had been, uh, like, hundreds of people got saved. They ended up going, and the guy ended up preaching another sermon that night, and mm. more people got saved. And the end of that story is the they ended up confronting him, and uh, he was obviously removed from that speaking engagement and everything. But it demonstrates that, people actually can for a time in a season have the power, have some power of the Lord without having the favor of God. And so that is something that um, like Samson, he didn't know that the power of God had left him and he didn't know that the favor had left him. And so that is something that we need to be aware of. We may not see the results of our sin immediately, but they are coming, I guess is the point of that. All right, so the last thing that we want to cover uh, just briefly is as we went through the study, there were just a a handful of other notes that we saw, some more important, some less important. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're just going to kind of go through them briefly here of just other things to keep in mind when it comes to this issue of of power and strength. So one thing is, is there's no guarantee that power will change things. It can still fail. Strength won't automatically save you. So don't trust in the strength of men. This is definitely more focused on human Hmm. power than it is divine power. But understand, too, that there's times when God's going to give you divine power and you're going to assume it's to accomplish some like some 10 degrees of something but it only accomplished six six degrees of something so so just keep that in mind and then another note is that there's numerous factors as to what makes something possible and so the amount of power and strength that you have is a component of like changing things and making impact but it's not the only component this is a pattern we've seen in all these unpacking studies that and we mentioned this at the beginning none of these things are isolated none mm-hmm. of these things are used on their own without anything else everything all plays ba- uh, everything all inter- overlaps with each other and yeah. interplays with each other the complex view of justice so understand that you have especially like proverbs proverbs states these general truths that you're going to find exceptions to right 
Um, and so keep in mind as you read these power passages that there are certain qualifications and other factors and, and complexities. Same with that. There's degrees to strength and ability. So it's not either you have strength or you don't. It's kind of how much power or strength uh, do you have or ability. And you can also obey God's word with even a little power. Um, and this is something that even in my own life, I've had to learn that sometimes I have to actually pray for the desire to desire to stop sinning instead of just to stop sinning. Um, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. it really, even that small step of honestly, Lord, I do want to keep sinning right now, but I am asking that you help change my desires to even want to stop sinning. Yeah. And it takes it takes some time to actually get there, but it can be powerful. Um, then you have the well-known verse that God's power is made perfect in weakness. This is with the thorn of the flesh. This would go back to Muddy Fields that you can listen to in season one and in season two with Know They Self. We talk mm-hmm. about Muddy Fields. Um, the idea here, perfect, biblically, has the idea of becoming is complete. Yeah. And so the idea here, God's power is made perfect in weakness, doesn't mean that it was imperfect before the weakness. It's the idea that his power or what's to be accomplished through that power is completed by us being weak. This actually goes back to the whole prologue theory that we've talked about a couple times uh, in this episode, that that God purposely had this broken prologue and we have our weaknesses, and it actually allows um, a more complete application of his power and strength. Paul also talks about becoming weak to the weak in order to win the weak. And so um, as we interact with different people, we need to really meet them where they are. And so we can bring them to or help guide them towards a relationship with Christ. That's a powerful thing because um, a lot of times if somebody's weak, we like to come in all strong, Hmm. maybe subconsciously to show off a little bit, right? but don't do that. Yeah. Because you know, meet them at the. It's a really cool verse to, to kind of do that. And then now the the kind of the inverse of that is strength impresses the strength. Strength impresses strength. So if it's a weak person, become weak to meet them at that level, and then both of you can can then tap into the strength and get stronger. If you're meeting strong individuals, um, then it's important that you're tapping into strength so that they can you know make a connection, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I is that even the idea of iron sharpening iron that as people yeah, are more strong, that. they yeah. can. Um, in addition, though, the wicked can be powerful, but those mighty people can be broken into pieces and taken away. There was Yeah, there was a lot of passages about be careful of uh, especially human power. Um, it's not going to last you. Right? Hmm. Um, then we saw the several different concepts or phrasings, like, again, not from Proverbs and some of the some prophets or Psalms. Bones are full of youthful vigor, um, though one might die with full strength, and strength and vigor in my hands may perish, and it all lies down with me in the dust. Hmm. Again, this is referring more to human power than divine power, um, but the idea there is is, is uh, in the end you can't take it with you, you know, um, and it's only going to take you so far. Yeah, and in addition to that, power isn't limited by age. And I think that uh, this can relate to a lot of different areas, but especially with like spiritual maturity, you can be older in age and be less spiritually mature than someone younger than you. And um, that works really both ways. And if you think the young or the aged are weak, Hmm. maybe in general, but they can still have strength as well. Yeah. 
Um, the firstborn is the beginning of a father's might. That there was, you know, so the, the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs, is big on a father and his family and his children and, and, and what the children can achieve. And, mm-hmm. and then lastly here we have love is as strong as death and death has no sting. All right, so th- those were the, the, the notes. Hopefully you've got... Um, we got a lot of information, right, that, that we covered with all this stuff. Is there anything else that, that you would like to add, um, any other notes or comments that you wanted to make on the, the details of, of strength and power? There is uh, one other thing. When we we look to Christ as our example in everything because part of what we're trying to do as Christians is become more Christ-like. You know, have mm-hmm. this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. In John 5, we see an aspect of Christ's character that we don't really talk about or focus on very often. And in John 5, 19 through 20, it says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And so this idea that Jesus actually didn't have strength in and of himself, he had to tap into the Father's strength in order to accomplish things. Which, when I read that, it just kind of blows my mind when I think of the second person of the Trinity. Mm. And his power was actually limited in such a way that he had to fully rely on the Father in order to get power and strength. Ah, And if he's doing that, then I need to do that to even more of a degree. So that actually segues into the final section. We've already discussed a lot of the implication and application but what's the, what's the big takeaway here for the reader, for you, for me? You know, as we were discussing this beforehand, going through the outline and kind of preparing, and we were talking it out, it, it hit me. So, you know, back in the, in the, in the prayer study, we talked about, um, you know, it's two, two episodes, and it's just sitting experiencing God, beginning to listen to Him and, and conversing with Him. And a lot of us never tap into that kind of prayer. Hmm. Um, you know, our prayer is, is a more simple understanding. God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. Amen. You know, or the Lord's prayer or whatever. Um, or, or um, dear Lord, please help us with this. And it's just us making requests of God. Petitions is just a fraction of what prayer is all about. It really is just about sitting with God, experiencing him, etc. In the same, so, so most of us don't really tap into that deep levels of what, uh, of what prayer can offer. This is actually true of love. Most of us only understand the surface mm-hmm. you know, parts of love. We're seeing the same thing here, that um, most of us don't actually tap, try to tap into God's power. Um, you know, we mentioned this earlier, like a lot of times we don't even ask God for direction, but if we do, which is great, we then use our own power to get it done, and it's, you know, it's kind of doomed and destined to mm-hmm. fail. Um, and so it's just, it really jumped out at me, and this is kind of my personal big takeaway, is... Like, I, I, I understand all of these things in my head, yeah. but I haven't let it move to my heart yet where I've actually begun to experience it and apply it and test it out. Mm. And so I, I told you, you know, b- before we start recording that some of the other areas I've done a ton of exploration in and then actually begin testing out and trying and experimenting with, et cetera. This is one that I haven't done. Um, not I mean, you know, occasionally once or twice in my life or whatever, but not on a regular basis. And so as we were going through this stuff and I was explaining it to you, I was like, man, I'm not 
doing this. Like, like I am, you know, trying to do kingdom work, mm-hmm. but I think I've just assumed either God will give me the strength that I need, or it's my job to use my strength to get it done. And as, as, as we, as we, you know, one of the greatest ways to learn something is to teach it, right? Mm-hmm. So as we've kind of taught in this episode and explained all this stuff, it's just been sitting with me that I, I do need to be more intentional with experimenting with this and experiencing this and allowing myself to ask God for the power for greater understanding when I do research and study scripture. Um, ask for God to, for power. And, and, we, and go back to that first column of all the different ways you can tap into it. So part one way is to ask for it. There's other ways as well. So to try out these different ways to to actually receive more of his divine power because it's going to make my job easier. Hmm. And a lot of times I am worn out with all the ministry type work that I do. And God's probably sitting there like, uh, yeah, it's because you keep relying on your own power. Like I had yeah. this whole you know fuel tank <laughs> of energy um, that you can tap into to get that stuff done, and it, it, it'd be a lot more efficient, right? The, the sharpened axe kind of deal. So that that was that that was my personal big takeaway. Was okay. I've been talking about you know like, like the whole idea like people know God, but they know of God, but they haven't really they don't know God deeply. And that's part of what rekindling is all about is to help with that and this know the God study that's coming up. Um, and so I know all about what, what power and strength is, and I know the different ways that can be achieved. I know the different purposes that, that can be, it can be used for, but I'm not actually doing it. Yeah. You know, so that, that reminds me of, of, don't be just hearers of the word, but, but doers also. So, so you, the listener, there's a, a variety of, of takeaways that you may, may come, uh, may come from this. Um, mine, and, and so I encourage you, maybe, maybe it's yours too is that don't let this just be a head thing um, in theory, but let it move to the heart in practicality and actually test it. And there might be all kinds of reasons that we don't. We, we think we don't deserve it, or we think that we're going to ask for it and then not get it. We're going to be let down and disappointed, so why yeah. even try? Or we, we're scared of it, or we're scared that once he gives us, he, he's going to give us power to do something that we don't want to do, you know, go be a missionary or whatever. There's probably all kinds of reasons. Could be just like like a, a lack of awareness or ignorance. Um, could be a certain fear. Could be a selfishness. Could be a confusion. Right. So if 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 you haven't tapped into it, figure out what your reasonings are for not tapping into it, and then try to counter them. Um, but you know, give it a shot. Tap yeah. into it more. See what happens. And I think that one of the reasons, because um, I'm in a very similar boat to you, and I think that one of the reasons why I don't tap into this as much as I should is because um, God has given me a lot of abilities and uh, has gifted me in such a way that a lot of the things that I try and do I'm successful at and so I a lot of times don't don't recognize the need that I truly have to rely on God's power not my own Mm. because I'm able to naturally do a lot of different things and so I recognize in some areas where I'm not gifted um, that I do need to rely on him and I do um, like especially with love just recognizing that I cannot love someone with the first Corinthians 13 type of love mm-hmm. um, it has to be something that he does through me and I've recognized that and I've really begun to live that out but with a lot of different and just like power in general um, I 
tend to be in environments where I do have a lot of influence. I, th- mm-hmm. There's just a lot of different aspects of this that I haven't had, I haven't been presented with failure in some of these areas, I guess. And so I haven't seen the need to really tap into God's power. Yeah. <laughs> Which, honestly, it's probably been God's power all along that's gotten me here. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't recognized it. Um, and so that's something that at, just even as you were talking through a lot of that, something that I was recognizing is I've been content with my own power. Mm. And so uh, just realizing that I need to not be content with my own power and really begin to explore what it looks like to move from this being a head thing to a heart thing and really let myself be guided and empowered by the spirit as I go through life. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if part of my thinking is uh, I'm cheating if I use God's mm-hmm. power. And so the more noble right thing is to use your own power. It's, it's you know, which is stupid yeah. um, to think that way. But I bet you this part of me, just that's part of a broken thinking that I have. But um, all right. So that's, that's it. That's, that's the, everything we've got on power and strength. Um, this may be one that you want to go back and listen to a couple times. This may be a timing thing. You know, you listen to it a year from now, and that's what you needed. Hmm. Um, but you can see where this one's going to play into a lot of the other stuff that we were talking about uh, in all the other episodes that you do need that divine power to actually pursue or experience. Yeah. And so let that be a part of it. So we'll, we'll wrap up with that. Um, with the next episode is the leading and following, which is actually the last episode, um, at least for the foreseeable future with season three, we've got some other things going on that we're going to, we're going to tell you about. Um, but tune in for that one. There's a lot of information on authority and submission and all that stuff. And, um, thanks for listening and we'll see you for the next one.